Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, you might have heard of the powerhouse brand called Lego. It's by far the biggest toy player in the $1.2 billion Australian market, which in turn is the fifth biggest market in the world for Lego. From the outside, Lego doesn't seem to have any major market challenges. Everyone from kids to adults, which by the way is Lego's fastest growing segment, love the stuff. But perhaps to some relief for the rest of us mere mortals, Lego did have some major competitive hurdles coming out of COVID, which saw demand and sales explode for the Danish group, particularly with kids. Lego found an unconventional marketing fix for its rare problem of having a problem, which last month saw it take out the Grand Prix at the Media Federation Awards. And what's interesting about it is that Lego ANZ Vice President and General Manager Troy Taylor wasn't at first convinced about this. He's a 21-year veteran at Lego and was concerned that his media agency initiative had put a strategy together that might have gone too far out of Lego's MO. Basically, it involved a sweeping tie-up with those crazy dudes at Nitro Circus doing the most nail-biting stunts on motorbikes and beyond. But it wasn't just a skin-deep alliance. The execution, results and ROI from this effort, launched last year, is what landed Lego an initiative, the Grand Prix, at the Media Federation Awards in September. But rather than listen to me prattle on, we've got Troy Taylor and the co-architect of this effort at initiative on the mics today. Chief Strategy and Product Officer, Chris Coulter. So welcome, gents. Really looking forward to this conversation and figure out some stuff about why Lego is so good, Troy Taylor. Let's start with you and start with the problem you were trying to solve for last year in 2022. You were coming off a sort of a boom period, weren't you, through COVID for Lego, but the competitive environment had suddenly changed. Talk us through the backdrop of, of what was going on before you got to this big powerhouse campaign. And welcome, Troy. Great to have you on the mics. Yeah, thanks, Paul, and thanks for your time, and thanks for having me on. So I guess, obviously, COVID was a bit of a blessing, I guess, for the toy industry in general, because we were the antidote to people's boredom. People were stuck at home, they had nothing to do other than to either talk to each other, build Lego sets, play with puzzles, etc. So we came out of COVID with a really strong headwind. The brand was very strong. We recruited a lot of different people into the brand that might not have played with Lego before, mainly adults, funnily enough. Yeah. So that was a nice thing, but it was also a bit of a curse because we came out of COVID and then people's interests changed. All of a sudden, people wanted to travel, that people were spending money on experiences like going to restaurants and pubs. Um, and people's, I guess you could say, their tastes had changed also during COVID. So we were in the middle of launching a brand new product called Lego City Stunts. And Lego City is a very traditional line for Lego. You know, it's been in our brand for about 30 years. And traditionally, Lego City is about real life scenes. So it's about building a police station, being a police officer. I've got hundreds of them, Troy, with my boys, let me tell you. They, they still litter our wardrobe, even though he's 21. Um, I just want to ask before we go any further, yep. your, your sales, you may or may not want to tell me this, but pre-COVID versus through COVID, were your sales up, what, 10, 15, 20%? What was the order of magnitude of what was happening through COVID versus pre-COVID in your business, at least in ANZ? Yeah, I mean, we've already, always had a healthy track record of growth in this market. We've actually had 16 straight years of growth. Um, wow, right. And 10 of those 16 have been double-digit growth. So we already had momentum going into COVID, but COVID took it to a whole new level. So high double-digit growth during those two years of COVID. 
So Do you know I, high double digit? You know what for me high double digit means though? That could mean 80%, Troy. I'm not going to share the exact number with you, Paul, because uh, we're a privately held company, but it was high double digit growth. Let's leave it at that, where the industry was around single digit growth. Okay, I tried. You did try, and that's okay. <laughs> so basically, Lego City, you know, very traditional range, and as I said, it usually focuses on real life scenarios, such as being police officer, being a fire officer, you know, hospitals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This year, um, our design team in Denmark came up with this range called City Stunts, and it was based on, I guess, you could say, crusty demons of dirt type thing, uh, motocross stunts, etc., which is something that we haven't really dabbled in before, which is a very different audience to the kid that usually wants to build a, a traditional police station. So the problem was we needed to reach a new audience, but we didn't know how. And so how did you start, Troy? What did you do to figure out how you're going to bring this to market? Because it wasn't in market. You had to launch it, right? Correct. So 80% of our range is new and fresh every year. So we have some carry forward items, which are always in our assortment, such as your base plates, your basic bricks, etc. But our secret sauce is really newness. So every single month we launch newness to the shelf. So when a shopper goes to one of our retail partners, whether that's Big W, Kmart, Target, or one of our Lego branded stores, they'll always find something new. So Lego City as such, as I said, is a brand that had been around for quite some time, but this concept around stunts was quite different. So we needed some support from our agency partner initiative to give us some idea around how do we go about reaching a new audience that we'd never really talked to before because we're very much an audience-based brand um, in the segments that we operate in, but we hadn't had any experience with dealing with motocross fans before or fans that are sort of into the extreme sports arena. That's mm. not usually traditionally Lego's MO. We're usually quite safe. We're a very traditional type brand, and this is something we needed some support with. I was going to ask, why did it take, I don't know how long Lego's been around, what, 50 years or whatever it is? 91 but years. 91, there you go. So why did it take, I, I take your point that it's a little bit more safe, but 91 years to get to some sort of stunts and some crazy stuff, was it just literally you, the, the team, the designers thought that it was too far afield for what Lego does? Because kids love that stuff, right? They do, they do. And I think our design team in Denmark's always looking for new ways to reach new audiences. And I think, you know, in the last probably five or six years, and particularly during COVID, it was okay to be safe, right? Because we had a captured audience. That was people staying at home. When you're coming out of COVID, you need something different to get people's attention. Um, and the toy market is a very cluttered market as far as there's always new things coming out, but it's always a rinse of repeat of the same stuff, you know, Barbies, um, Hot Wheels cars, etc. We want to try and do something a little bit different. And then, of course, in the backdrop, we're also competing with screen time. So you've got kids now that during COVID also got even more heavily addicted to screens than what they were in the past, mm. adults as well. So you're trying to get the attention and you're trying to get kids away from screens. You're trying to capture their attention that, hey, okay, you might have bought 30 Lego sets in the last <laughs> two years during COVID, but we've actually got something which is different this time around that you might be interested in playing with. So that was really what we had to navigate through during that period of 2022. You know, if we think about the agency landscape, why initiative and your media agency versus a digital agency or a creative agency and all those other options you had, what made you land with initiative to sort of find a solution? Sure. Yeah. I mean, firstly, you know, we have a lot of trust in initiative. They've been a long-term partner of ours for many years and we don't just look at them as a media agency. We look at them as a full service agency. You know, I've worked with Chris for many years and our team has worked with Chris for many years. And we believe that their ideation process and the way they help us problem solve together is what makes them great. Um, and obviously they have a great track record with Lego of doing that for many years. Right. So 
for us, it was a no-brainer to, to, to go to the initiative team first to say, hey, we've got some ideas, but we just want to validate them through you guys. And can you help navigate this very different audience piece to what we've been dealing with in the past? Crikey, Troy, I didn't mean it to be an ad for initiative, but anyway, <laughs> fair point. Hey, so listen, you, you briefed them to come up with some magic and you got something back that was slightly unexpected and maybe you're uncomfortable with. I think it was a really good conversation we had the other day. Talk us through the plan and your initial resistance because you were the resistor, Troy Taylor. I was the resistor. So obviously when you've been with a company for so long, you know, you're quite pure in the brand values and where you see the brand and how people portrayed. So when a proposal is put to you that you want to infuse your brand in Nitro Circus, uh, which my first thought was, okay, mother energy drinks, Chicks in bikinis. Yeah. <laughs> Concerned mums. Time of stands and, and waiting for people to crash and fall off motorbikes. I'm like, hang on a minute. This sounds a bit risque for a, a Danish brand, which, you know, really prides itself on being, you know, um, safe uh, and making sure that when the parent buys Lego, they know what they're going to get. Yeah, so mum's going to be okay with it, right? Our comfort zone, right? Um, and, you know, secondly, do we have to do this? Because... We have a strong brand. We have a great following in this market. We've been operating in Australia for over 60 years. Do we need to go to these extreme lengths to launch a new product? Is it too risky for our brand? Mm. So those are the kind of things which were going through my head at the time when the when the pitch was put to us. Um, and was that the only one that was put to you? Was just like an initiative had backed itself on one thing or did you have some alternatives? You went, okay, now let's go with Play School. Yeah, no. I mean, there was there was a number of initiatives put forward to us um, during that period, but the one that won out in the end was the one that was probably the most risky one for us, which was going right. to partner with Nitro Circus. And, and what got you over the line, Troy? What, what was it that you ended up um, saying, yeah, okay, let's give this a crack? And had it been done anywhere else in the world? No, it hadn't. We're the first market to do it. So I think there's a couple of things. I think firstly, a bit of self-reflection from my perspective and from the company was sometimes you got to let go and you got to realise that we don't own the brand. The fans own the brand. We're the custodians of the brand, but it's the fans that own the brand. And if we have fans that are into Nitro Circus and if we have fans that are into extreme stunts and going to these events, well, we need to be cool with that too, right? Uh, we, we're not, it's not up to us to tell them where they can find the brand. So I guess that was point one, coming to terms with the fact we had to let go. I think second of all, when we do things like this, we're big on authenticity. You know, We're a brand that wants to be in places that, make sense for us and that our fans would expect to find us. And if we could do it in a way that was part of the show, part of the Nitro Circus experience, and it wasn't forced that, hey, it's Lego, we're here, we're sponsoring Nitro Circus. It was in, it was part of the actual show itself and it was authentic. Well, then, okay, we were open to it. And I think this proposal ticked all those boxes for us. This stage of the proposal, though, had initiative already sort of got a, an initial uh, nod from Nitro that you could integrate into the program itself. Yeah, uh, like Chris Coulter, maybe you could answer that. Yeah. yeah, I can jump in on that one. Like we always make sure that we do our due diligence whenever we put anything in front of clients. And so, you know, the first port of call was to make sure that it was a feasible opportunity for us. And, you know, not only was it serendipitous that they were actually doing their tour down under at the same time. It was a world tour or something, wasn't it? Yeah. The world tour was going to crescendo um, in Brisbane, the Nitro World Games. But yeah. They were actually traveling around the country. There was Newcastle, Wollongong, like all over the all over the place, which is exciting. You know, the thing that I think is really interesting is you, you talk to them and you engage them, but what they can also help you do is give you the collateral to give clients the informed confidence when there is a little bit of unassurity as to whether or not this is the right opportunity. So, 
Nitro were actually really integral into us, uh, you know, selling this idea in because they were able to show that it's progressed beyond that beer drinking sport into a family friendly environment. You know, the vast majority of attendees are actually families with kids between five to nine. So yeah, so right in our target audience and the the happy go lucky, you know, jovial nature of the stunt show itself actually appeals to families more than like a crusty demons or something, which is a hardcore motorsport enthusiast event. And so it felt like it was actually this, you know, perfectly serendipitous moment. But then we had the stats and the, you know, the business rationale to be able to, you know, say why this is a smart investment. Just reminded me of a um, sort of an interesting thing about ideation, how ideas come about, Chris. Uh, how and where did this idea? Was it? Were you guys in a rainforest? Were you, um, you know, <laughs> on a beach? Like, where, where did the initial? Let's try this one. Where did that? How did that come about? It's always interesting. The spark. Yeah. Look, I think the thing that's always interesting when we think, particularly about Lego, right, is um, it's a product that doesn't need more awareness. It's a brand that is universal awareness around the country. So, like, our strategic starting point is always around. How do we create like genuine engagement and a reason for people to get bricks in hand? It's a it's a mantra that Troy, um, you know, instills in his marketing team and then by proxy to us, which is the more that we can get people playing with the product, trialing the product, the more likely they are to actually buy it and become massive advocates for it. So we always like to start our brainstorms on the absolute, you know, 11 scale uh, what could we possibly do and then rein ourselves back in and on this one in particular you know we had the the city line you know for years we've been as as troy mentioned selling you know fire trucks and um police cars and all of that which we've done some exciting stuff in the past on as well but this opportunity about leaning into something extreme felt like if we weren't going to honor that product line with something equally as interesting then we weren't going to deliver it so we just literally just put the call out and said, like, you know, navel gaze, dream whatever is possible. And, you know, that that was one that was um, surfaced in the room. And then we backed ourselves and, and sort of built the proposal around it. Great. Okay, good. So it wasn't anything exotic. It was just actually in a meeting room. That's disappointing. I was hoping something really, really sort of um, an environment that said, okay, let's have to explore. I'm joking. Um, so let's get back to Troy for a moment. Troy, I think, um, you know, I didn't realise a couple of really, really fascinating points about Lego that we were talking the other day about. One, adults are the fastest growing segment for you in Australia, I think. Why is that? That's the first question. And secondly, Lego donates uh, 25% of its global profits each year to children's charities, I think. Um, when I started, when you said that, I went and did my, you know, found out what your profits were, Lego's global profits were, and it's it's circa a billion dollars a year. So I, I want to ask also, is why do you do that and where does that money go? But first question is adults and Lego. That's kind of, I get a small part of why it is, but this is the fastest growing segment. What the hell's going on there? Yeah. It does sound strange, right? But I think um, we've sort of changed our approach over the years. We're still very much focused on children. You know, we always will be. That's our core reason for being. If you don't get the children into Lego, if you don't get the bricks into the hands of kids, they won't become the affoles of tomorrow, the adult fans of Lego tomorrow. Got it, right. Right. So it's almost like a cradle to the grave strategy, right, in, in a way that you develop products that suit each and every age segment. But I think to answer your question around adults, it really did take off during COVID because people were looking for passions in their life. A lot of things were taken away from people during COVID, right? Your your ability to exercise, your ability to socialize, to play sport, etc. So I think through building sets which tapped into people's passion points, whether that's through the Gibson guitar, 
that we launched. Ah, right, yeah. Through the $1,000 Millennium Falcon set that you can build because you're a Star Wars fan. Um, whether it's your Indiana Jones and you love the movies and you want to build Indiana Jones, no matter what it is, we had a set for you. Um, and that strategy basically started around a bit before COVID, actually, around 2021. And we've grown and developed that. And each year we've launched more and more sets tailored towards adults. And it's more about saying to adults, it's okay to play with Lego. You know, you d- you're not a nerd. <laughs> you don't mm. have a problem. It's actually okay <laughs> to play with Lego. If that's your passion in life and it gives you some relaxation and it takes you out of the reality of life, that's fine too. And we've sort of really targeted adults now in that space, which has been a breath of fresh air for us because it's very hard when you're a children's toy company because you can't target market children. You know, there's, yes, the, right. there's the COPA compliance um, component of when you're a toy company and how you talk to kids. You've really got to talk through the, the parents to yeah. get to the kids and you've got to try and make your brand cool, which means then the kids want it and it becomes playground currency, right? But when you're talking to adults, you can talk to them directly. You can target market them on Facebook. You can talk to them on Instagram. You can have a very different conversation to adults versus the way you market to kids. So that segment sort of really exploded for us in the last few years. And I don't think we ever want it to become bigger than our kids' business because kids is really our prime reason for being, but it's definitely an area of opportunity for us moving forward, no doubt. Yeah, I was going to say it could be. It could be seen in conventional product and marketing it could be seen as a double-edged sword because, one, you don't want to lose, to your point, the starting points of, of kids coming through and using the product, but also a bit like sometimes, i.e. Facebook, when mum and dad get into Facebook, it's uncool for the kids. So there is there's, there's this potential possibility of sort of a, a whack there, but that hasn't happened yet, clearly. No, it hasn't happened. But, um, you know, going back to kids, it's, it's one of the most fickle audiences you can deal with, right? Because kids don't have any brand love. There's no brand loyalty for kids. You know, it's not like an adult. I'm either an Adidas person or I'm a Nike person or a New Balance person. <laughs> they mm. just go with what their friends go with in the schoolyard, right? If you've got schoolyard currency and you're playing with something cool, I want it, right? It's just a bit mm. of this herd mentality with kids. So to try and keep reinvigorating yourself and innovating to stay on top of kids' wish lists when it comes to Christmas and birthdays, those key buying occasions, is tough. And I think that's why stunts was a bit of a, a great opportunity for us because it was going outside the norm of your police stations, your fire stations, et cetera, et cetera, and that's why it works so well. If adults are the fastest-growing segment for Lego in Australia, what percentage is it now or what was it? What, what growth rate are we talking about? Give me something, please. Yeah, I'll give you something, Paul. I'm not going to tell you what percentage of our business it is, but I will tell you that it's uh, it's been growing double-digit the last few years. Okay. That yep. good old double digit gets you out of a lot of trouble, Troy. So uh, it's the profit thing, which I do have a, an actual percentage on, which is 25%. Sure. Um, and it is, I mean, if I'm right, circa a billion dollars a year in profit. Yep, from. that's um, correct. That's so that's massive, right? And 25%, We I hear companies all the time talk about, you know, purpose and doing well and giving back, but it sits around 1%, 2% of either sales or, or profit. Lego is 25% of your profits. That's massive. Why does that happen? And where do you put the money? Yeah, so no, very good question. Um, obviously, we're a privately held Danish company, so it's um, fourth generation ownership now. And the owner family, you know, have a belief that they should contribute to the um, communities that they operate in. And obviously, once again, going back to our core reason for being is kids. So we have a, um, a brand framework, right? I guess our one pager, and there's a couple of things on there. And really, that the big one that we operate is is that you know only the best is good enough, and only the best is good enough for children. And then, you know, we want to inspire and develop the builders of tomorrow, that being kids. So through that lens, we make a lot of decisions, right? And also from our charity lens, 
25% of our profits can only be spent on children's charities. So it's not going to political causes. It's not going to adult causes. It's to causes that can enrich the lives of kids. And that can be children's hospitals. and can be if there's flood relief that's needed for villages that have been affected by floods, which have high proportion of children in it. It can be populations um, in parts of the world where they don't have access to educational tools and needs. So the Lego family has what's called the Lego Foundation. And in my capacity in Australia and New Zealand, I could go to the Lego Foundation and say, hey, I think there's a worthy cause here in Australia of a group of children that are in need of play materials or a group of children that are in need of toys or in need of clothing or whatever that may be. So that children, that Lego Foundation is something that we can all pitch from right. in individual roles to then give back to communities. One thing on that, which I think is, you know, it's testament to the authenticity and, you know, the reason for why the business does it is, you know, it's really quick when you hear that stat and that sto- those stories, and we've been very familiar with them across our entire relationship, to be like, that's, you know, powerful communications material to show how Lego is helping kids around the world and doing good in, in different communities. But they also have a, 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 you know, a staunch rule to not use that to sell product. Like it is a right. genuine purposeful act. They don't want to have it front-facing in marketing. They don't want it to be this big public message. They do it because it's the right thing to do. And I think more businesses should take that lens because I think it's, you know, it comes up organically in conversations like this or it comes up in, you know, areas around culture and then it just feels more genuine versus mm. the businesses that do it as almost like a, a care-washing practice mm. without actually contributing. Yeah. Well, we I mean, we advertise that fact at all, Paul, and we never we never push it. And uh, we've been asked many a time, right, when we've donated product to companies, you know, would you like our logo on there? Would you like to be mentioned? And we just decline, actually. That was my next question is, do the beneficiaries know that Lego is at least doing helping? Or is no, it- <laughs> no, no. In, in 90% of the cases, no. Wow, that is super impressive um, because normally it is, you know, there's there's some sort of association that says, how good are we? Or we're yeah, doing no. or we're doing doing something good, perhaps. No, we're probably. not. I mean, the latest one we've just done is we've worked for a company called Snake and they're the voice for Indigenous children in Australia. So we actually went out to the Red Centre, myself and a group of our teammates, and we actually um, took some Lego sets to the um, remote camps outside of Alice Springs. And these kids had never seen Lego before, right? They'd never mm. played with Lego before, um, unfortunately, with their situation they're not in a position to afford lego either so we sat down with these kids for hours and just played with them just showed them how to play with lego and 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 how you build and how you can connect with lego socially and stuff and um that was a really really cool thing to do and 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 that was just another example of we try and give back to the communities but we didn't advertise it right and we didn't tell anyone we'll do it just Just out of interest how was the initial the early the first i don't know 10 15 minutes of seeing this stuff and going what do you do with it was it duck to water or was it like what the hell is this uh it was mixed some of the the children were just burying it yeah yeah right the dirt some of that they were throwing at each other and some of that picked it up like duck to water and they were building Mm. right so it was a really mixed experience of how the kids engaged with the lego bricks but um yeah, I felt quite privileged that I was in a position to be able to give these kids the opportunity to play with Lego because they hadn't had that chance before, right? And I also felt a bit guilty too to think, wow, you know, this is just something that we all grew up with and we had the, the honour to, to play with, but these kids had never been given that opportunity. So that was a cool part of the job, being able to do that. 
Yeah, that's great. And well, that was a um, that was a segue, but but a worthwhile segue. I'm glad we did it. Back to Chris um, and the conversation at hand, Chris Calder, which is give us some context now. Um, we just to remind the listener that we are now talking about city stunts and and Nitro Circus and and kind of the big initiative here. Context now of um, how your side developed this. And then the executional components. You have been on the Lego business for, I think, about 120 years. Um, so what was the difference uh, about this challenge, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Definitely been working on Lego for a fair amount of years now um, and absolutely love the business. I'm one of those affoles that Troy mentioned earlier. I'm a bit <laughs> of a geek about the product. Out of interest, uh, Chris, what's your most significant build? I've got a lot of creator architecture sets that look really nice and um, fancy. So then I feel like I'm at least creating art in my house. And- <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it's, it's your art. That's good. Right. But like, I, I think the thing is that's really interesting just to kind of go back a, a step on, on Lego is a lot of people imagine it as a brand that sells itself and it doesn't require that much effort to actually drive growth across the portfolio. Like as um, Troy mentioned, the, the brand's been in a really healthy position, consistent double-digit growth for, for, for many years, but that doesn't happen by accident or purely by product line. Um, it, it happens in terms of how you actually approach your marketing effort. And I think when you think about Lego, it's actually one of the most complex portfolios to plan for, particularly from a media perspective, because you've got a target audience range where for most sets, it's two years. So like you're talking to a six to eight year old versus a nine to 10 year old because right, the, so they're over their product by the time, you know, that's their cycle, age right? Compression, well, yeah. the age compression is really tough. Like you don't, you don't talk to any other marketer in the country that's like, I'm reaching 30 to 32 year olds. Yeah, it's, right. It's the difference between a six to eight year old and a nine to 10 year old is yeah. profound, not just in terms of development, but in terms of passions, in terms of interests, in terms of media consumption as well, which is really quite a challenge and what you don't want to do is you don't want to sell a set that's like a too advanced for them and then they they build they get they engage with the experience and they can't build it they get frustrated and they don't continue playing with the journey so that specificity of you know getting the right set to the right kid is um is is really important and then you add on to it you know data compliance responsible marketing to children which you know lego upholds the absolute you know, gold standard in all of those measures and it's it, it becomes a really difficult challenge. So, you know, the reason why I give that context is you then overlay the very finite media ecosystem that exists for kids and how you can actually, you know, create that precision engagement and, and sort of connect with them in a meaningful way. And a lot of the thinking that we try to bring to the table is finding new media opportunities that allow us to have a very pinpoint direct engagement with an audience in a specific cohort. And so when we had a property like Nitro, it felt like we had that opportunity to find a new, completely new media environment untapped for the brand, somewhere to engage them in a way in an area that has like massive relevance to their needs and to their passions. With a product that was perfectly aligned. Exactly, exactly. And like again, like you know, there's genuinely universal love for Lego. Most kids, it's fair to say, have some form of a Lego set, but there is a you know tiny proportion of kids in, in culture that aren't, don't have a particular affinity to Lego, right? And a lot of those kids tend to be the really active, extreme outdoors kids because the play experience is incongruent with that. So Lego is generally indoors. It's very sort of like methodical and building together, whereas you know, these kids are out on dirt bikes and, and doing crazy things. So, you know, one of the big starting points for us was not just to 
you know, turn up in and around a Nitro Circus, but it's like how do we actually win their favour and prove that we're a toy that they would actually engage with or get value out of? So a lot of the approach was less like how do we just get the Lego logo all over the event, but how do we deeply and meaningfully integrate into it to show the product in action? And so that was like the strategic starting point for what we did to build out the overall um, partnership and and the architecture that surrounded that. Well, it makes sense. Strategic framework absolutely makes sense. So then talk to some of that when you talk about that integration rather than just a logo slap, how deep did it go? How broad did it go? And, you know, I guess we could talk for an hour on this, but just give us a sort of a top line summary on the key points that sort of um, made a difference, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I'm more than happy to. And, you, and you're right. Like it's not hyperbole to say that we could be speaking for an hour on this because – the level of integration, the volume of different assets that we deployed as part of this partnership is, you know, it almost sends you cross-eyed. But, like, yeah, right. I, I think a lot of the things that we knew at the heart of it is, you know, if your brand, it's like how do you actually turn up to just elevate the experience and not just be around it? And Lego's, you know, cultural shortcut is creativity. And so we wanted to turn up and inspire creativity in every one of its forms. So we brought a lot of our, you know, IP to the table. So we had the giant minifigure mascots revving up the crowd and getting really excited. We even recreated the stunt of the night trophy, like the big iconic thing that they all compete for, built that out of Lego to show that you can make anything out of Lego. You know, we took over all of the stadium signage. Yeah, got- Troy on a motorbike. Yeah, I'll try it. You know, we got we got the um the athletes to actually like create content ahead of the events where they played with the stunt sets to show like this is the stunt I'm gonna do on the night and sort of show how you can model the play behavior of the things that you as a kid love doing, you know, with Lego. So it's a way for you to just deepen your passion when you're not able to be out and out and about on your bike, which was really cool. We held a bunch of like skills workshops where we you know brought hundreds of kids together and you know taught them stunts and got them to meet their ambassadors and then gave away lego as part of that but you know ultimately for me the big thing was the um the crescendo competition with this whole thing which was like actually you know getting giving kids an opportunity to design their ultimate stunt vehicle and then we recreated that so that it could be jumped by professionals in front of 80,000 fans in a stadium, you know, millions around the world, um, which is, you know, that's genuinely, you know, money can't buy sort of opportunity for, for kids. And you did that for that tour? That that was actually in the tour? Yeah, that was in the tour. So, you know, that mm. for us was like, you know, it, it was the perfect manifestation of, you know, Lego turning up and adding value because, you know, one thing about Nitro Circus is from wheelchairs to to lounges, you know, they're kind yeah. of famous for jumping weird and wonderful mm. contraptions. And this is like, from my knowledge, this is one of the first, that this is the first um, branded contraption that they've ever built. So, you know, it was a big bet from them. Having kids design it was something that's never been done before as well. And it just gave kids a new way to engage with their passions. And also like, you know, it, it gave them a reason to run out and buy Lego so that they can design their, their build vehicle and, and, and watch it be jumped Right, in. right. At the events itself on the tour, how many did you – what was the reach on that? So, like, at the events themselves, like, you know, you're talking ac- across, like, like the, the regional tours, you're talking, like, 80,000 people. So, like, you know, in many ways, like, they're actually rivaling some of the NRL crowds that you're seeing in mm-hmm. certain games. So, well, one know, event got – no, the, the, the cumulative right. was 80,000, yeah. Yeah, yeah, across events. Mm. But um, mm. and, but then, like, the big thing is, like, the World Games event that got, held, that got held in Melbourne, 
that gets broadcasted globally, mm, right? So right. it was on Fox here, it's in Sky in the UK. So us down here in Australia, little media agency and, and Lego marketing team are, are making ideas that are basically reaching the world and giving you know the other marketing teams around the world a nice free kick. Okay, so did you amplify all this through for a bigger scale? I mean, 80,000 people, I get it, and there's word of mouth and people be talking about it. There's yeah. buzz, there's social, there's all that stuff happening. So it amplifies to whatever. But was there also a broader media sort of play here to tell more people that didn't get to the gigs? Yeah, so like if you watched any of the TV screens ads, they were all Nitro-inspired with the stunts jumping through things, so they had that same energy to them. We had amazing social amplification built into the partnership and package deal, like, you know, each post reaching millions of people alone. So, you know, adding that across the the sort of the year, that was significant. The global broadcast, like it's proper integration that we did into that. So, you know, it, it was an actual dedicated segment where they spent like five minutes, not just telling the story of you know, the kids, their creations and how the, the contraptions were built, but then actually watching them being jumped live um, right. and then like seeing the kids like reaction when they get to do it. It's the cutest content that you'll ever see. But um, yeah, like it, it was all built into the, the amplification strategy and, you know, a lot of our other partners, like your, your cartoon networks of the world and, and that came to the fore as well. They helped us drive further um, reach on the competition call outs, created both bespoke hubs and, you know, it was a genuine integrated multimedia effort. So can I ask both of you regarding the earlier conversation we had with Troy where he was a little bit mm, not sure this is going to work, Was did you ever get to a point, Troy or Chris and the teams, where you went, holy cow, now we're a bit nervous, we're getting closer, is this going to work, is this right? Was there any nervous moments before uh, in the lead up to this or were you completely convinced by that time? I mean, speaking from my point of view, of course, I was, I was very I was very nervous because we hadn't done anything like this before and it was a, a different audience and a, and a different environment. But, um, you know, obviously I attended it. Um, the event, actually, the one in Newcastle, I took my kids along and um, they had a ball, absolute mm. ball. And the, the way that, you know, the Lego vehicle itself was in the actual event itself where they did the really cool jump off the ramp and it crashed. And I was like, wow, okay, we're actually part of this now. And it actually feels genuine. It feels authentic. We, we haven't forced it. I get it now. I completely get it. But until I'd gone to an event, because I hadn't been to a Nitro Circus event, admittedly, it's not my mm. MO. But um, once I was there, I got it. I got the energy. I got the passion that these fans had for their sport and it completely changed my mind on it and i'd actually go again as a, as a result so so you've absolutely. given up synchronized swimming now then troy mate i'm i'm, I'm converted i don't know if i'm going to be uh, a synchronized swimmer but i'd definitely go back to a nitro circus event it's definitely um a lot more family-driven than I'd probably given it. Yeah, credit. right. That's the problem. I mean, I, early on I've been to them and, and they did tend to be a bit more not family, but it's obviously changed and that was a good 10 years ago, I reckon. Um, Chris, any nervous moments for you? Look, I, I think like the only nervousness that I had, because I've believed in the idea since it was formed in the brainstorm. I could see the potential. I could see how Lego could turn up. But we wanted to do that like real crescendo moment competition and the challenge that you've got whenever you run competitions, you know, for a toy brand, but particularly Lego is, you know, it's a complicated process because it involves parental approval and all of that sort of stuff. So it wasn't 25 words or less describe your stunt vehicle. It was, you know, buy some Lego, imagine the stunt vehicle that you want to um, see, build the thing, take a photo of it, get your parent to agree to allow you to submit it, to write a description and so when you think about the steps and the level of effort that you have to go through. It's a bit of friction, isn't there, which we don't we try to avoid all the time. Massive friction. But like first week alone, we had hundreds of entries and, you know, just seeing the wild creativity and the spectrum of it, like it's, 
you know, that in itself just proved why it was such a rich and, and purposeful idea because, you know, you had everything from, like, unicorn vehicles that had, like, trailers behind them. Mm, right, right. <laughs> spaceships, like, <laughs> you know, even a leopard car. Like, it was just, like, the wildest thing that you would never imagine. And, it, again, it just reinforces that, you know, what Lego does to fuel kids' creativity and, and, and development, developmental ability and, like, all of their imagination is genuinely you know something that's really purposeful and um it was awesome to kind of bring it to life in this context and and, and sort of win new audiences in the process yeah interesting and and well the pointy end here troy is the results now clearly you wouldn't be talking to me uh on the mics or winning the grand prix uh, or the grand prix if it wasn't too flash so what happened to the business to that product line i guess yeah, I mean, obviously the product line delivered the result it needed to, but the nice part about it was the halo effect it had across other segments of the business. So right. it wasn't Lego City that took off. It was Creator. It was Technic. There was other brands associated that are similar sort of genre but were actually different audience segments as far as ages were concerned. Mm. So, yes, it delivered on its brief for that, but actually had a halo effect as well. And I do believe we recruited a bunch of new kids that weren't necessarily into Lego before that are now. And yeah. they didn't necessarily buy Lego City stunts, but they probably went into Technic and they probably went into other themes that we have in our portfolio. So I think it ticked multiple boxes on that front. So once again, your sales uh, for comping, your comparables, double digit, I guess. <laughs> Correct. Let, let me answer it for you. Correct, Paul. Thank you. Did it surpass your projections, Troy? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, it was always we, it was always going to be a tough one, but I think it did in the end. And as I said, it was the nice fact that we actually recruited a whole new audience that hadn't had a Lego experience before mm-hmm. or weren't within our wheelhouse. So that was the pleasing thing. I'm really interested in the impact of things like the Lego movies, the TV series, and even Lego Masters here in Australia. What does it have on the business? What did Lego Masters do when it launched, for instance? Did you see a, a noticeable impact or how do you view that whole thing? Yeah, Lego Masters was huge. I mean, that was 2017, I think, was the first one. And actually, a fun fact on Lego Masters, um, we're up to season six now. We're the Mm. longest-running Lego Masters market in the world. So the US has only done two seasons. The UK made it to three. Um, We just launched it in Korea and Japan. But Australia has actually had the best ratings and the most engagement out of any Lego Masters globally. So why is that thing that we're very, very proud of? And of course, you know, actually won the gold Logie as well, yeah. um, which we're pretty, yes. pretty proud of. So um, I remember um, back in 2017, like there wasn't a lot of networks that were actually that interested in it because it was like, hang on a minute, this is Lego. Is this, is Lego mainstream enough to be able to capture people's attention? Is building going to be seen as fun? And of course, getting Ryan, the brick man along to, to help showcase the values of Lego and then getting a kick-ass host such as Hamish really helped. But I think what Lego Masters did was it took Lego mainstream. So right. Lego always had a very strong fan base, but it took it mainstream. Similar to my comments earlier about it's okay to play with Lego, it's okay to come out of the closet and say I'm a builder. Even <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I'm 30 and I'm, you know, I'm living at home, it's actually okay to build. <laughs> yes, so right. I think it sort of gave people the right to talk about their passion and our sales exploded in 2017 when this show came out, and there's no Could doubt. Could we get to triple digit, perhaps? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> we're a pretty mature market here, Paul, so to get triple digit would be pretty tough. Okay, but, so um, we're still in double digit. Well, it's definitely helped, and it's continued, right? Like, I mean, it's it has not slowed down. Every year um, we've seen the show ratings improve, and every year we've actually seen our sales grow on the back of that. So no doubt mm. it's given us a, a big lift. 
the format was it developed by because you know lego has a huge sort of intellectual property division around content yep. and so forth was yep. that developed by internally or was that some sort of external production company or or, or house that came to you or came to the group um both, both. okay yeah both right. of them. Key takeouts for both of you and learnings um, from both Lego City Goes Nitro and what's next. And perhaps you first, Chris, what's the big takeout here and what are you going to make Troy nervous about? Yeah, yeah. With next. Yes. Tell me what I'm going to make him nervous for because all of the products were under NDA on, so I can't. That's right. Okay, right. There's going to be some exciting stuff in the future, don't you worry. Um, But I think, like, for me, the big takeaway from this is to find new media environments that haven't existed before and to activate them with purpose and, and, and bring something to the table. Because like it was the fact that Lego were adding to the experience, that we were enhancing the experience, that we were able to so deeply integrate into it and we got disproportionate results off the return of it. The results that we saw from this campaign, you wouldn't be able to achieve through a standard burst of screens media in the same kids' environment with the same, like, tired assets we wanted to do something that genuinely brought new energy into the brand and i think you know by setting that as your starting point and north star and then building all of the reach building stuff around that um, you have the opportunity to create something more magnetic but also more effective well you may prove me wrong but you know um nitro circus is a bit of a freak initiative in that can you really find them anywhere else for lego so we won't go into that but it's just like literally that was a it, it is a, a podcast it, in that one yeah, yeah. yes exactly and <laughs> And now that you've piped up, Troy, I'm going to ask you what the key takeouts are. And I will say this is your second Grand Prix, right? At the, uh, it at, is. At, yeah, so it was 2016, 2017. 2015. 2015, the Build Your Lego Christmas campaign, yeah, yeah where we did the uh, first ever Australian shot TVC, which we're very proud of. The Danes relinquished control and let us do something here. Right. And then we built the world's largest uh, Lego Christmas tree and we stuck it in Martin Place, which was pretty, pretty awesome. So, yeah, we're pretty proud of that one. Yes, so your key takeout from this, Troy, is firstly, don't get nervous, I guess, or maybe just I won't answer your question. Yeah, no, I think it's um, about relinquishing control a little bit, right? Sometimes when you've been with a brand for so long and sometimes when you work with a traditional brand which has guardrails around where we can play and has you know a brand framework and all these things, that sometimes you'll let control of the brand and think more about the audience and where does your audience expect to find your brand. And um, I think that's the key takeout for me is just that, you know, we don't really own the brand. We have to let go sometimes to explore new opportunities and to reach a new audience. Great conversation, super conversation, super insight into a, into a super global brand that all of us uh, land with. So thanks for joining. Uh, stay safe. Look forward to talking to you about your Grand Prix next year, perhaps. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.